morning, good morning, Gateway. If we can start making our way to our seats. It's great to see everybody this morning. We should all have a little extra pep in our step, right? A little extra energy. Lindsay's like, no, that extra hour did nothing. So, no extra hour. <laughs> yes, welcome to our new fall schedule. It's great to see everybody this morning. I want to welcome everyone watching online. So glad you're able to be with us this morning to worship the Lord and come together as family. Aren't you guys glad to be here? I'm serious. We, we can't take this for granted, guys, to be able to get together as the body of Christ, as families, as brothers and sisters, to enjoy one another in community, to worship our Lord, because as I'm about to announce, there's many people in our world right now who cannot do this, who right now are suffering and struggling being persecuted for their faith. Um, hopefully every one of you received one of these when you came in. It's the Voice of the Martyrs Prayer Guide. Today uh, is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. Right now, across the globe, we are joining with millions of family members. Amen? Brothers and sisters all across the world, as we're going to stand in the gap this morning for our other brothers and sisters who are in very difficult situations, suffering for Christ in their faith and declaring that Jesus is Lord. So we just want to provide this for you this week uh, to be aware of what's going on. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of nations represented to be praying for. And so we just ask for you guys this week. We want to make sure to take it serious and not just make it this week. This should be a lifestyle for us. We mentioned it many times from up here uh, to pray for other nations and others that we know that are struggling around the world who can't even say the name of Jesus so they can be beaten or imprisoned or killed. And so we should be very grateful. And so please get one. Uh, there's some on the back table there if you didn't receive one coming in. And as you leave out near the office, uh, Amy Lynn and some of the others, wonderful greeters, have them. Um, if you need to get one of those, so please do. Also, we're very excited about this season of Christmas and the holidays with Operation Christmas Child. Another way to serve and to affect the nations with the gospel. Uh, many of you have already started picking up your boxes. We have them here in the hallway. We have some over in the gym. So we just ask you to please... Uh, Get one or two. It's a wonderful time for families to get together and shop. And uh, they're due back in two weeks on November 20th. Uh, the information is on our website at gatewaybaptist.com. So we ask you to join in and participate with that. All right, where's our men and our boys? Let's see all you guys. You have an opportunity in two weeks to go backpacking. Um, Grady, you will not be attending this one. Oh, one of your shepherds will not be there to lead you. But uh, he just got back from a three-day trip last week, so he's probably pretty worn out. But uh, men and boys, backpacking trip, two weeks, November 19th and 20th, open to men of all ages and their sons five years old and up, five years old and up. Details and registration on the website, space is limited, so please register by next Sunday. A couple quick announcements that are not up there um, that came in last uh, really quick at the end of the week. Number one is every year, for the past few years, we've been helping uh, Auburn University here in Montgomery, AUM, their Baptist campus ministry provide desserts for their big Thanksgiving celebration where they try to reach the campus. They have lunch every week, but they want to do a big Thanksgiving celebration to provide an opportunity for the students from all over the world and from around the country to come and enjoy a good meal. So we've been doing that for a few years. So a week and a half from today, uh, we will be delivering some of those. So we need you, church. Uh, this is an opportunity to get your flour out and your sugar and butter and make some wonderful desserts. 
And so uh, these kids, some come from all over the world. Some are from different parts of the country. So some have even told us, man, I've never had a pecan pie or taste like this or some special southern traditional dish. So we ask you to please participate. We need to provide for about 75 kids. Um, and so we ask you to please contact the office or come see me. And uh, we'll give details out this week through an email. Just a wonderful opportunity to show the love of Christ just by providing some desserts uh, the next week and a half. And lastly, uh, youth parents. You've already received a couple emails. Immediately following the service, right after we say amen and you go get your other children, uh, we're going to be meeting in the youth room very briefly. Um, one parent's fine. If both of you want to come in, that's great. I know there will be other uh, children beyond your teens. They can go in the gym. We will have some other adults in there that can keep an eye on them. This will not be a long meeting, about 10 to 15 minutes. Uh, but we would love to do this, please, immediately after. So kind of keep your fellowship to a very brief, and then let's head over that direction, all the teenager parents. You guys ready to worship the Lord through singing? Let's stand up. Have an opportunity to... Come before our Lord who is worthy of our praise. And I just want to read this psalm over us to prepare our hearts, to remind us the amazing God that we are about to sing to and to worship. Psalm 145, verses 1 through 13. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. For your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. Let's worship our mighty God this morning. Sing, take the world, but give me Jesus. Take the world, but give me Jesus. All its joy.
nation bows down, joining with heaven's sound, singing hallelujah, you are holy. Age to age of the same, there is no higher
should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Lord, we cry out to you for mercy. We praise you and we worship you because you, in you alone, is found mercy. We ask you to hear our cries this morning. And because of you, Jesus Christ, we know that you do. And so, Lord, we come into your presence now as your church, as your bride made holy by the work of Jesus Christ. And we confess that we have been proud this week. We confess that we have put our hope in our own righteousness. We confess that we have been proud of the works that we have done. And that we have sought to stand on our own two feet rather than on the the amazing, incredible work of Jesus Christ. So Lord, we cry out for mercy. We look to you for mercy, for steadfast love, for redemption. We need you. We need you to redeem, Lord. We need you to love us. We need your mercy and your grace, Lord. And we thank you for it. 
Lord, we want to lift up some specific requests this morning. We pray for the marriages here at Gateway, Lord. Lord, marriage is such a beautiful gift from you to show us, to have a, have a visible picture of the manner in which you love your bride. But Lord, marriage is difficult sometimes. It is hard to lay our lives down for one another. It is hard to love and to give that unconditional love, Lord. It's impossible apart from you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would have mercy and grace on the marriages here. We pray that you would redeem, Lord, that if there's troubles, if there's problems, that there would be a willingness to reach out for help. We cannot do this life alone, Lord. And so I pray that you would just bring your grace and your mercy, that, that each husband and wife here, Lord, that we would look to you this week to lay our lives down for one another. Lord, we just pray for your mercy and your grace in our marriages. We pray for the Mistech Church here in town with Pastor John. Lord, he has such a heart to love those um, just who are on the margins of our society, of our city. And we pray that you would encourage him and bless him as he seeks to bring the gospel um, to the Mistech people here in this town. Lord, we pray that you would continue to establish that church and grow that church and that you would be glorified in that. Lord, we pray for the, for the church that's being persecuted all around the world. As we come into a time, a season to pray for the persecuted church, Lord, we just pray for our brothers and sisters right now who are around the world, who are being persecuted for their faith, that you would visit them, Lord, that you would fill them with, their, with your spirit, that you would remind them of the joy that they have in their salvation, that you would remind them that this world is not permanent, that their suffering is temporary, that in light of all that you have done, in light of the inheritance we have in Jesus Christ, this suffering is light and momentary, Lord. And so I pray that you would give them just overwhelming faith, overwhelming encouragement to know that, that they are doing your work and that you will be glorified, Lord, and that you would meet them wherever they are. Lord, we pray for the offering that's being given today, Lord, um, that's already been given, that's going to be given. We pray that you would be glorified in that, Lord. Thank you for calling us to worship you in the giving of our money, Lord. It's such a practical way, and I pray we would do that faithfully and that we would see your faithfulness in doing so, Lord. And Lord, finally, we pray for Grady as he gets ready to preach and to bring the word. We thank you for a pastor that diligently seeks out your word, that diligently seeks the truth in your word, and that is so faithful to bring it to us week after week, Lord. And I pray that you would bless him now, that, you, that he would be able to recall and to remember all that he studied this week. I pray that you would fill him with your spirit that as he seeks to, to bring the word of God to this body that you've entrusted him as the senior pastor, Lord, that, that his words would flow, that we would hear them, that you would open our hearts and minds, that we would be convicted by your word and that we would walk out repentance as a result of that, Lord. Lord, we love you. You are good. You are merciful. We praise you and thank you so much for all that you have done for us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. First to fourth graders, you are dismissed to kids worship. First to fourth grade, you're dismissed to kids worship with Miss Jennifer and Mr. Tom today. And while the kids are on their way to kids worship, you'll find First Peter chapter two in your copy of God's Word. First Peter chapter two. We are 20 weeks into our study of First Peter. No, we're not halfway done yet, but we are making progress through this. But in these first 20 weeks, I hope you've seen this amazing identity that we have because of God's grace. Things we can never earn, things we do not deserve, but the new identity we have 
because God in his grace has given it to us. We've seen back in chapter one that we are elect exiles. We saw in chapter two that we are sojourners and exiles. And if you put those two key ideas together, we have this incredible truth that we are chosen by God. And this is not our home. Our home is in eternity with God forever in the new heavens and the new earth. And as we journey through this life, we realize this is not our permanent home, but rather we have more to come. But as we walk through this life, we realize because of God's transforming grace in our life, we are different from the world now. We find our values are different and our lives are different. And so in chapter 2, what we saw last week was that Peter has now said that we are servants of God. And so the question Peter turns to as we get into the body of his letter here is how do we live as servants of God in this world that is not our home? What does it look like to serve God as we are sojourners and exiles on this life? Now, today we come to just one verse this morning, chapter 2, verse 17. It's a beautiful summary of how that identity as elect exiles, how that identity as sojourners and exiles, how that identity as servants of God changes our entire life. Now, what we're going to see this morning as we look at verse 17 is Peter's going to address four areas of our life. He's going to address a lot more than this in the weeks to come. He's going to address four areas to paint a big picture for us of how God's grace and how this new identity we have changes every aspect of our life. So as we read verse 17 this morning, be looking for what are the four areas of life he addresses as he paints this picture for us. But how do we interact with other people in light of his grace, in light of the fact we're servants of God? What does that look like in these four big areas of life? Now, because these ideas flow together, we're going to start back in verse 16 that we looked at last week and then flow into our text for today, verse 17. I'm going to ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. We'll also have the words on the screen. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God honor the emperor. Now, verse 17 is really short, so I want us to read it out loud together and proclaim this together. So I know you may be reading out different translations, but if you'll look to the screen, if you're not reading out the ESV, and let's read this together. Say it with me. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word, your unchanging word. Lord, we've sung today of your attributes of your holiness, Lord, how powerful and omnipotent you are, how unchanging you are. And Lord, to think that you are not changing, but you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And as we read your word, we find your unchanging will for us, your people. So we ask your Holy Spirit would come and to fill us and open our eyes to the truth of your word. As Seth has already prayed, we just agree, asking you to give us conviction where we need conviction, encouragement where we need encouragement, reminding us that this is your grace at work in us changes. These are not things we can do just by our own determination, our own strength. Lord, guard us today from seeing these as a checklist of things to do, but rather to see this as a call to depend on you to transform us in ways that only you can. We ask it for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So I'm going to go and tell you the big idea of this text, and we'll kind of unpack these four areas of life. This is what I want you to see this morning. God's grace changes us to see ourselves as servants of God in all aspects of our lives. That God's grace, we talk about a saving grace that gives us this new identity, but it's transforming grace that keeps changing us. It changes our perspective. God's grace changes us to understand we are servants of God. And as servants of God, that impacts every arena of our life. Because you hear me say often, God's plan is not just to get us out of hell. God's plan is not to get us from birth to death in the easiest, happiest, safest, most comfortable way possible. God has a plan to conform us to the image of Christ. 
And he gives us his transforming grace to be shaping us into who he desires for us to be as his people, a people who will serve him in every aspect of our lives. Now, again, in verse 17 this morning, Peter's going to address four areas of our lives where we serve him. Again, these are not exhaustive, but this is painting a big picture for us so we see how his grace changes all parts of our life. He's going to show us how being servants of God changes how we relate to non-believers around us. He's going to show us how being servants of God changes how we relate to one another, believers in the church. He's going to show us how being servants of God changes how we relate to the government, what we've looked at the last several weeks. And he's going to show us how being servants of God changes how we relate to God himself. How God's transforming grace gives us a new identity that changes how we relate to the lost, to the church, to the government, and to God himself. Now, before he jumps into this, go back to verse 16 and notice what begins to frame what he's about to say. That We talked about most of verse 16 last week, but look back at this last phrase. Living as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. This is a reminder to us that God in his grace is, again, not just to get us out of hell, but God in his grace is to change us so that we serve him. As I was reading this week, I came across a quote from an author, and maybe just stop and think. This author said, Christian freedom rests not on an escape from service, but on a change of master. Christian freedom is not an escape from service, it is a change of master. What we looked at last week with this beautiful part of verse 16, that we are free in Christ, that does not mean that we are free to go do whatever we want to do with our lives. It doesn't mean we are free to go craft our best life that we want to pursue. That means we are now free from the bondage of sin. We are free to now serve our master, our redeemer, and our king. Our freedom is for serving God. Now, how do we serve God? We serve God with our whole lives. We've seen this in the imagery in First Peter about being royal priests, that priests dedicate their whole lives to serving God. And Peter's going to bring that out here. He's going to show us how serving God encompasses everything we do in all of our interactions, whether with believers or the lost, whether with the government or with God himself. Every part of our life changes by his grace when we understand we are here, not for self, but to serve God. Now, to understand what Peter does in verse 17, we need to understand the structure of what he writes here. Because when we read verse 17, if we're honest, it can sound a little bit choppy, and it can sound a little bit random, right? Go back to verse 17. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Now, what in the world is Peter doing here? Well, what sounds choppy to us is actually beautiful poetry when he wrote this in the Greek language. So I want you to see this on the screen diagrammed of what this text looks like. This uses a poetic form called a chiasm or a chiastic structure where you take two similar ideas and you repeat them in reverse order. So for all the kids who've been studying poetry, hopefully you know some of this, you see the A, B, B prime, A prime. This is a poem that was common in Greek poetry that was common in the writings at the time. You take two key ideas and you repeat them in reverse order to make a point. Now, the first grouping A and B there is about our social relationships. He starts with how we relate to people in life. And he's going to start with how we relate to everyone. We'll see in a minute that he's talking about non-believers. But then he's going to raise the bar and say, but hey, look, you've got a special obligation to fellow Christians. He's going to show us what that looks like. But because it's a poetry structure, he then starts with the A prime down there. How do we handle authority? He's going to talk about the earthly authorities that we have. He's going to raise the bar a little bit, that B prime, and how do we respond to God's authority? So he's writing a poem for us to describe first all of our relational interactions, how we relate to believers and how we relate to non-believers, because everyone you know falls into one of those two groups, right? So he's going to paint that picture for us of how understanding God's grace has made us his servants, how that changes our social 
relationships. Then that second grouping, he's going to show us how we respond to authority in our life, how understanding God's grace changing us to be God's servants changes how we relate to the authority structures of the government and of God himself. So with that big picture in view that he's painting a poem, a cohesive poem here for us, let's look at each of those four areas, asking two questions of each area. First, what does serving God look like in this area? So for honoring everyone, loving the brotherhood, fearing God, or honoring the emperor, what does it look like to serve God in that area? Then I want to ask a second question of each of those four, why? Why is it important for us to seek God's grace to change us to be this way. So what does it look like and why is this important in our lives as believers? So let's start with that first note there, the letter A, honor everyone. So look back at verse 17 here in our text. Notice that first phrase, just simply honor everyone. Now, you've heard me say this before, in the Greek, everyone means everyone. This is all encompassing here. But because he's turning the focus in the next part of that chiasm there to believers, the scholars say he's actually here focusing in primarily on non-believers. And so what does a servant of God, what does one who understands God's grace sustain them? How do we respond to non-believers around us? And it's quite simple, we honor them. And the command here for us, the what, is when we interact with the lost, with non-Christians, we are as believers to honor them. Now, what does it mean to honor someone? We can talk about that word, but what does that practically mean? So you be three things it means to honor someone. Number one, it means we treat them with dignity and respect. If you honor someone, you treat people in a respectful way. You treat them as a person with dignity. Number two, you're courteous in how you talk to them, and you're courteous in how you talk about them. So if you're honoring someone when you're face-to-face with them, you show them courtesy, and when you're not in front of them but you're still talking about them, you're still showing the same courtesy in how you speak about them. And perhaps most convicting, number three, to honor someone means you give them the benefit of the doubt and you do not assume the worst of them. To honor someone is you give them the benefit of the doubt, you do not assume the worst. So it's dignity, it is respect, it is courtesy, it's giving the benefit of the doubt. And friends, the reality is that can be really hard for us, especially when it's someone we disagree with, especially when it's someone whose lifestyle may be very different than ours, and especially when it's someone who may say hurtful things back to us. Jonathan Lehman is an author for Nine Marks Ministry, and he said so well about the challenge for us to honor people. He said this, we do not give people the benefit of the doubt. We do not try to understand their perspective. Instead, we demonize. We caricature. We put them in the worst possible light. We treat people as all bad, not as fallen God imagers who mix the good and the bad, just as we ourselves do. And since we're holding the Bibles in our hands, We feel confident in our condemnation. They're evil. They're baby killers. They hate our nation. The governor's an idiot. I can't stand her. Phrases like these just roll off our tongues. They feel natural. They feel justified. They feel faithful. My friends, though that is so common, that is not what God's plan for us is. The reality is we do often speak about the loss like that, sometimes directly to them, sometimes behind their backs as we're talking together, sometimes and what we post online in our blogs and our social media. God says, I have a higher standard for you, church. When you are dealing with non-believers, you are to honor them. You're to treat them with respect. You're to treat them with dignity. You're going to assume the best of them. You are to honor everyone you meet. Now, why, friends? That was the what. Why? Two reasons. Number one, why? Because they're made in the image of God. 
every person we meet, whether we agree with them or not, whether they're pursuing God's will for their lives, they're still an image bearer of God. Every human being we will ever meet or come in contact with is an image bearer of God. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. You see this all the way back at the beginning of Scripture. So God created man, this is in his own image. An image of God, he created him male and female, he created them. Every person you will ever meet is an image bearer of God. Therefore, we are to treat them with honor, with dignity, with respect, with courtesy, because they are image bearers of God. But there's a second why, why we should do this, and that is because we need to witness to them. We need to be a witness to them. This is what Peter has been showing us all throughout this letter, that our lives are to point the lost to Christ. First Peter chapter 2, verse 12. We looked at this one recently. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Friends, as we speak to the lost with courtesy, with respect, with kindness, with gentleness, assuming the best of them, and when behind their backs we're still speaking about them in that way, so there's a consistency in our lives. It is a testimony not only of God's grace in our lives, it is a testimony of a very radically different way because we live in a world of much division. We live in a world of much assuming the worst with much conflict, much harsh things being said, and we can be salt and light as a witness to the lost when we treat people with honor in this. So for the non-believers around us, what? We show honor. Why? Because they're image bearers of God. And why? Because we are to be a witness to them and others around us. So before we go into the next category, I want to pause and ask, friends, who are the non-believers around you in your life? Who are the non-believing public figures, politicians, sports figures, entertainers that you and other your friends talk about? As you think about your conversations, even over the past week, as I reflect on my conversations, were we honoring and how we spoke about the people around us. Where can we say, by God's grace, we honored people? Whether it's the referees in the games we didn't like yesterday, whether it's the politicians in the commercials on TV, whether it's the people who are elected or not elected coming up, are we honoring people in how we speak? That's the first category that Peter gives us. But the second category is he kind of moves up on that his chart there. He goes from the A to the B. He moves to believers here. Look back at verse 17 here. Honor everyone. Now he raises the bar a little bit. Love the brotherhood. Now, brotherhood here is a reference to all believers. This includes men and women. So women, you're not off the hook on this one. This is a term that encompasses the entire church. And why does Peter refer to the church as a brotherhood? Because it's a family term. It's a familial term. He's using this to show the special bond that Christians share, that we are the family of God together. So he's focusing our attention now from everyone, meaning the lost world out there, now to the church, to our relationship with one another. Now, because of the way he's structuring this, this doesn't mean we get, we're off the hook on honoring other Christians. It's not that that doesn't apply anymore. He encompasses that, but now he raises the bar and gives a second thing we do in addition when it comes to Christians. I love how Paul shows the both end of this in Romans chapter 12, verse 10. He says, love one another with brotherly affection and then outdo one another in showing honor. So in talking about what the church is to do, we still do what that A line was in the poem. We still are to honor everyone. Everyone includes the church. But now he raises the bar and says, but in the church, you need to prioritize loving one another with brotherly affection. That's what Peter says here. Go back to verse 17. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. So what does a servant of God do? When we understand God's grace changing us, that we're servants of God, what do we do for one another? We love one another. Now, this is not new. We've seen this before. Look back at chapter 1, verse 22. 
He commanded us then, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, notice this, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. He's already told us, so he's repeating himself because it's that important. Our priority as Christians with other Christians is to love one another sincerely from a pure heart, that we are to be loving one another. Now, if you were with us the week I taught that text, I want to remind you the definition of love because love is so confused in our culture. When you look at scripture, love is a choice you make to give of yourself for the good of another. Love is not just a feeling, it's a choice that you make to give of yourself, to self-sacrifice for the good of another person. It's a heart that wants to bless, a heart that wants to serve, and the practical actions that flow. It's a choice that you make to give of yourself for the good of another person. So go back to verse 17. What is the command here for us with other Christians? To choose to give of yourself for the good of the brotherhood. Now this word love here is the Greek word agape. You've heard me say before, there's different words for love in the Greek. This is the highest form of love in the Greek language. This is the covenant love that God shows to his people. And so what Peter here is saying is in the same way God has agaped you, you now go agape one another. In the same way God has given sacrificially to you, you now give sacrificially to one another. We are to prioritize pursuing the good of other believers in the church. That's the what. Now again, the why. Let me give you three whys on this, this part of the command to love the brother. Number one, the first why is because we need each other. We desperately need each other. As Seth prayed earlier for the marriages, we can't do this alone. We need other Christians to walk alongside us to help us pursue God's plan for marriage. And that applies to every area of our life. We're not going to kill sin effectively without one another. We're not going to pursue Christ well without one another. We desperately need other believers in our life. Friends, this last Wednesday night in the men's group, the question God asked of what drew you to Gateway and I just got to sit back and listen. One thing I was struck by in the answer to so many of these brothers is how much growth they have found because of community. How when their marriages were in trouble, someone pursued them. When they were struggling with discouragement, how someone pursued them. It was just breathtaking to hear God's grace at work in community. We need each other. It's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. We need each other to grow. If we are on an island by ourselves and there's not brothers and sisters speaking the truth to us, pushing the gospel before us, we will struggle. We need each other. Therefore, the command to love the brotherhood. Second reason why we need to love the brotherhood, for building up the church. God wants his church strengthened and maturing because we are loving each other well. The very next verse in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 16, he goes on to say, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Why should we love one another with this brotherly love? Because it's God's plan for how the church gets healthier. It's God's plan for how the church is strengthened and grows. But there's a third reason why this is so important for us to love the brotherhood. That's because it's our witness to the lost. It's our witness to the lost. When you read on evangelism and missions or read about the challenge to take the gospel to the lost, I think one of the most undertaught verses that you rarely see in a lot of the books and writings on evangelism is John chapter 13, 34, and 35. Notice what Jesus says. He said, a new command I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You can notice that. The way God has loved us is the model for how we love one another in the church. You also are to love one another. Verse 35, he says, by this... 
by this agape love that Christians have, by this what Peter says is loving the brotherhood, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Why? Because we're in a world where people are fighting all the time, where there's much hatred, and when the watching world looks at the church, they are to see an agape covenantal love between believers as we're growing up and strengthening each other and serving one another, and that is to be contagious to them. So the second part of this poem he's given us, love the brotherhood. What do we do? We have a choice to give of ourselves for the good of another. Why? Because we need it. Because that's God's plan for the church to grow, and that is because it is a powerful witness to the lost. So before we go on again, friends, I want to ask, are you in that type of relationship with other Christians? And friends, it's a challenge to you. That takes more than an hour on Sunday mornings. We're not going to be able to receive love and give love well to others in community when we only gather in the same room for an hour. We can go our separate ways. This is why we so much want you in a small group of some type, in a discipleship group of some type. We want you to plug in where you can share life and love others in this way. Speak the truth in love and have people speak the truth and love to you. So friends, are you in deep relationship with other Christians where this is happening? Are you seeing other people grow because of your love for them? Are you seeing other Christians served because of your love for them? But then flip that, friends. Are you being served? Are you being challenged because of other people's love for you? That is God's plan for you. That is God's plan for the church. So that's the first half. Brad, if you put the, that structure back up, that's the first half of what we're seeing here in this little poem that Peter gives us, we're to honor everyone and love the brotherhood. That's to be all-encompassing for your life. And everyone you meet, they're either non-believers or believers, so you honor everyone, but as you focus on believers, you're to take this next step to serve each other, to help each other grow in Christ in these ways. Now he's going to turn to the second half of what he's writing, showing us how being servants of God changes our whole life. And he's going to talk about how we respond to Authority. Now, again, he starts there with that A prime, honor the emperor. Then we'll go to the next step up, fearing God. So let's start with that fourth phrase in verse 17, honor the emperor. Now, this word emperor, some of your translations say king. It literally means king here. But it's a term that refers to any authority who administers laws and provides justice. So this is about anyone who's in a position of government authority to administer the laws and oversee justice. This is what we saw two weeks ago in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 14, he's talking about to submitting ourselves to the government. He says, to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Now, God's plan is for the government to do that, to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good, to administer laws and to provide justice. We know in a broken world that does not always happen perfectly, but what is our attitude to be to the government above us? What are we to do? Verse 17, we're to honor the emperor. Again, remember what honor is. Our command here as Christians, as servants of God, as we think about the authorities over us, we are to honor those authority. Again, what is honor? That means we treat the authorities with dignity and respect. That means we're courteous in how we speak about the politicians above us. That means we give them the benefit of the doubt, not assuming the worst. And friends, the reality is if we look at what many of us, including myself, have said about politicians over the years, we struggle to honor those political leaders that we disagree with. Friends, there is no asterisk, there is no footnote here exempting us to say you're to honor the king unless he's of a different political persuasion. There's no footnote here that says you have to honor the president provided he's of your party and thinks like you think. This is an all-encompassing that our attitude towards the governing authorities is one of honoring, dignity, respect, being courteous, giving the benefits of the doubts. Remember, friends, when he wrote this, Nero 
was the emperor. Nero was far from a godly man, far from a even sane man in a lot of ways, and yet Peter still writes, honor the emperor. That does not mean we have to agree with him. It does not mean we have to tolerate their sin, but it means how we think about them and speak about them will be different. I was thinking about this. I keep thinking of the words of James chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. We're told about the warning of our tongues. And James says, with our tongues, we bless our Lord and Father. So we've been doing this morning. And with our same tongues, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. I can't help but think how much in the political realm do we on Sunday mornings as Christians praise God And then as we speak about people who disagree with us, we curse those people who are made in the likeness of God. Verse 10, he carries on. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursings, my brothers. These things ought not to be so. So what are we to do when it comes to governing authorities? Even those we don't like and disagree with, we are still to honor them. Why? Why do we still honor the government? That's what um, Rick showed us a few weeks ago. Because God ordained the government. The government is God's idea to bring justice and establish order. So we honor the government because this is God's plan. He's put image bearers in place to help bring order to things. Why else do we honor the government? For the same reasons we honor everyone. Because the government leaders, even those we don't like, are still made in the image of God. And they deserve respect. And why? Because there's a watching world of watching us. One of the authors I read this week said this. We do not need to agree with the ruler's political convictions or social policy in order to honor them in a way that honors God. Living today in a contentious political atmosphere gives us the perfect opportunity to put on display our ultimate allegiance to God. Friends, there's such a contentious political atmosphere around us, and we have a chance, and we show honor in the way we speak about and to government leaders to be a witness of Christ and what it looks like to serve God as sojourners in this land. So the third category we're given here in this text is we're to honor the government rulers, we're to honor the government. So before we go on, let me ask again, friends, what is your attitude, what is my attitude towards the government leaders? When your kids hear you talking at the dinner table as you're watching the news afterwards, what do they hear you say? If people read our social media posts, what are they What are they saying? Are we honoring those, even those we disagree with? Are we speaking in a way that bears witness that we're servants of Christ, even to those we disagree with? One last category here for us that Peter gives us this morning. Again, if you think back to that structure, he raises the bar here. Again, he takes us from government authorities now to the authority of God himself. Look at verse 17 again. This third phrase, but it's kind of the culmination, the peak of the mountain of this poem here. Simply fear God. So what is a servant of God being transformed by God's grace? How do we approach the authority of God? We do so with fear. Now, what does this mean? Well, let's go back to verse 17 of chapter 1. Because we looked at this you know, uh, several weeks back. If you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. So what does it mean as servants of God to fear God? Let me remind you what we saw in chapter 1. It does not mean that we fear the wrath of God. As believers, we, don't, we never have to fear that and praise God for that. But as we saw in chapter 1, fear of God is not just awe and reverence. Now that is part of it. But a lot of times we use awe and reverence to write off having to go deeper into this. A holy fear of God is a holy fear of God's holiness. What we were just singing about this morning is a holy fear of how God views our sin. Because we need to remember as God's people, God hates our sin, though he loves us. It's a holy fear of a holy God and his discipline for our sin. Knowing that if we don't repent and we don't tackle our sin seriously, God will pursue us and tackle and discipline us because he loves us. Is a holy fear of God's holiness and the accounting we will give 
before God one day, that we will never face his wrath. We will still stand before a holy God and give an accounting for all of our life, as Scripture says, including for every careless word we have spoken. So what does it mean to fear God? One author I read this week said it so well. It means we bow to God's absolute authority, and we do so reverently. To fear God is we bow to God's absolute authority, and we do so reverently. That means, what does that practically look like for us? That means we're serious about God's standard. We're not tolerant of sin in our own lives. We seek God's grace to hate our own sin, and we seek community to help us change. That means, friends, we approach God with great humility. We don't go to God in prayer demanding, telling him how he has to order his universe and what he has to do for us. We go to him as a child simply asking, but then submitting ourselves, trusting his wisdom, trusting his power because he knows what is right. That is the what here. As we approach God, we do so with a holy fear of his holiness and his greatness and his sovereignty. We bow to him reverently. But why, friends? Why? And I've struggled to come up with a great summary of why. All I can come to is it's simply the only right response of sinful creatures to their creator. That is the only right response of us sinful creatures to our creator. We do not stand before God because we're good. We stand before God covered in our own filth, but then Christ has taken it from us and has covered us in his own righteousness. Therefore, friends, we owe our lives to God. He created us. We owe our redemption to God. He redeemed us when we were not pursuing him. We are life today to God because he sustains us. We have nothing to bargain with God about. Everything we have has come from him. So why do we fear God? Because he alone has given everything we have and he can take it all away. He is sovereign. We are not. He is God. We are not. So we bow to his authority reverently. So friends, I want to ask again as we reflect on this past week, are we a people who bowed to God's absolute authority and how we prayed or did not pray, how we read the word or did not read the word, how we talked to God, how we talked about God, friends, do we see a heart that wants to bow before God's authority with reverence? Let's bring all those four things back together. If we understand by God's grace we are servants of God, what do we do? God's grace changes us to see ourselves as servants of God in all areas of our lives. God's grace changes us so that by God's strength, we are honoring people. We are loving the brotherhood. We are fearing God. We are honoring the emperor. God's grace changes us to see ourselves as servants of God in every relationship in which we find ourselves. Now, friends, we have a great opportunity to live that out this week because it's election week. And what a chance to be thrust into trying to, by God's grace, be servants of God and all these things. Over the next week, we will see government leaders who we like and dislike in the news. We will see non-believers, both on TV and in our conversations with the water cooler at work, talking about politics. We will see believers around us filling their social media posts with their opinions about us. Friends, what will we as God's people do this week during election week? We have a fantastic opportunity to be salt and light this week, to honor everyone, to speak with courtesy and kindness and respect, even to those who disagree with us. We have a phenomenal opportunity this week to love the brothers and serve believers, even if they vote different than us. We have a phenomenal opportunity this week to show the fear of God and to let God be the one we are fearing, not the opinions of other people. We have a phenomenal opportunity this week to speak with respect and honor the government leaders above us. Friends, that's not just for election week. That is for any week. This is what God desires us to be as his servants, for us to live as servants of God, honoring everyone, loving the brotherhood, 
fearing God and honoring the emperor. My friends, like I said at the beginning, this is not something I can just choose to do this week. I can't make a checklist and stick it on my dashboard and put my refrigerator to do these things this week. These are heart motivations that the Holy Spirit has to change within us as we seek the word in prayer, as we study his word and sit under the authority and sufficiency of scripture, as we live in community, this is God's grace changing us. And so the challenge for us this week is not to try harder in these things. The challenge for us is to repent before God where we are falling short and doing these things, to get on our face before the Lord and to ask for his help and to find brothers and sisters in Christ to come alongside us to help strengthen us and hold us accountable so that we are servants of God who can grow in honoring everyone, who can grow in loving the brother, who can grow in fearing God, who can grow in honoring the emperor. So friends, as the praise team comes, I want to ask you just to pause in a moment of prayer and reflection. And in your own lives, I want you to think, which of those needs the most attention? Friends, none of us have arrived. As Seth prayed earlier in the prayer time, we all have pride in our life. We've all walked in pride this week. None of us have sought God as we should this week. But as you think about these four areas, which of those need the most sanctification? Now, to be real, all of us need to continue to be sanctified in all four of those areas. Or friends, as you look at the struggles of this past week or past month, or even the struggles going into this election week ahead, which of those do you need God's grace to most change your life? To honor everyone, to change how you speak and view the non-believers around you? Is it needing God's transforming grace to help you love the brotherhood? Perhaps as even to get into community if you're not in deep community and to pursue serving others. Perhaps as fearing God and getting back to a place where we're pursuing God and pressing into the gospel ourselves, understanding his holiness and our need to bow before him. Perhaps it is how we've been speaking or writing about the political realm around us. Friends, just take a moment and reflect and ask God, God, where do I most need growth in my life this week? So take a minute and reflect on that. And then as the Lord shows you things, confess where you've fallen short this week and ask God for his transforming grace to change you this up. Can we take a minute and pray about those things? Father, this is a weighty calling you've given us, yet a joyous calling all at the same time to be your servants. As we navigate this life in this world that does not understand us as your sojourners and your exiles, as your chosen people, Lord, you're calling us to be different. You're calling us to be radically different. Lord, in all areas of our life and how we respond to earthly authorities and your authority and radically different in how we speak about people who dislike us or we disagree with and radically different in how we lay down our lives to serve other people for the sake of the gospel. Lord, what we see here, we confess, God, we cannot do. Lord, we are so weak and we are so frail. We sung about that earlier. Lord, now indeed we find, Lord, your strength and your alone can change the leper's spot. Lord, we do not have the strength to change our hearts to want to honor everyone. We do not have the strength, Lord, to find a heart that wants to die to self to serve other Christians. We do not have a heart that wants to bow before you, God. We confess we want to be our own God so much and hard our own life. And Lord, nor do you have the hearts that really want to honor as political leaders who are different than us. 
Lord, we come to you this morning confessing our frailty. We're confessing our weakness and saying, Lord, do what only you can do. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Give us a hunger for your word. Give us a hunger for prayer. Give us a hunger for community. And we pray you use those means of grace to transform us and shape us. And when we pray even this week with things going on with the elections and the political realm around us, that, Lord, we would, by your grace, be countercultural. That, Lord, that our coworkers, our classmates, our neighbors, the people we, who overhear us talking in the next booth at the restaurant would hear something different. Not because we're trying harder, but because we belong to you and because your grace has grasped us and is changing us. So what I pray this week, you give each of us an opportunity to point someone to you because they see the difference you have made. Not to make much of us, Lord, but to make much of you. We ask that you would keep transforming us and give us opportunities to point the loss to you this week, Lord, as we honor everyone, as we love the brotherhood, as we fear you, and as we honor the emperor. Give much grace for this this week, Lord, not only for our joy, but Lord, ultimately for your glory to be known. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song of worship to the Lord this morning?
do rejoice in that beautiful gospel message. You've broken every chain that we are free from the bondage of sin and death, all because of your grace. Lord, we need the gospel, not just when we first come to faith in Christ, but we need that gospel every day to transform us, to see sin's power broken over us as we seek your grace to walk with you. So Lord, I pray what we just declared and the hope we feel in that, the excitement we feel in that, we carry with us all week that as we read your word, as we pray, as we spend time in community this week, that Lord, you continue to stir our hearts to rejoice in the gospel and praise you for your grace. So we ask it all, Lord, for your glory and for our joy as we walk with you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, Gateway family. Grab one of the Voice of the Martyrs booklets on your way out.